Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Perky Avos podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, where we live with the ethics of the Torah. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. For this week, we're going to take a break from Perky Avos. And in honor of Purim, we're going to discuss the holiday of Purim, um, two ideas. And it's very interesting. Purim is very unique. The, the book of Esther, <clears throat> right, the Megillah that we read on Purim, it is the last book of the 24 writings. It is the, I guess it, it was the, the seal. It was the last book that was added to the writings, right? Tanakh is made up of Torah, five books of Moses. Nevi'im, the, the, the prophets, and Kesuvim. And the book of Esther is the last one of the writings before the Tanakh was sealed. And um, <clears throat> there are a lot of different parallels about Purim that we can relate to for us in living in 2022. The, the main one being that the story of Purim happened while the Jewish people were under the dominion of the Persian Empire. And not when they were in their own land living um, as a nation, but rather under the subjugation of the, of the Persians. And even Hanukkah, which, which celebrates right, the Maccabees overbeating the, the Greeks, after the holiday, after the battle was won, we were back to an independent people. But Purim is different in this regard because even after the miracle of Purim happened, right, that Haman was hung and the decree, the Jews had the ability to defend themselves, right, and that the Jewish people were saved, they still were under the subjugation and the, I guess, the leadership of the Persian Empire. And this is something for us as well, because us being in exile to this day, we're in the exile of Edom, right? The story of Purim takes place during the exile of Persia, right? Which is in between the first temple and the second temple. And um, it is something that we can relate to because of the themes of Purim and the, the different I get messages that we could take out of, and it is really the holiday that we can use for us to learn how to live as a Jew in exile, and God willing, that will end with the coming of Mashiach, with the Messiah. It also gives us a lot of insight and, and um, instruction of how Hashem, how God operates, even when it, things don't seem so clear and so obvious, right? During the times of the temple, in the times of the prophets, people knew what they needed to do. It was very obvious. The divine presence rested in the Pesach in the temple. There were prophets who could tell people what they should be doing, what they should not be doing, what their purpose in life is, how to reach their true potential, right? The, 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 the revelation of the Shekhinah caused people to recognize their true potential. But after the Jews had lost that with the destruction of the temple, they felt as if Hashem had abandoned them, right? Coming from such a spiritual high, 
which the Jews of those generations felt, right? They, they knew what it was to go to the Beis HaMikdash. They knew the experience of, of seeing the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. They felt the radiance of the Shechina, of the divine presence. So after the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, by ne the Jews felt that Hashem, God forbid, had abandoned them because they didn't have that clarity anymore. They went from one extreme to the other, from having sacrifices, closeness, clarity, to confusion and fuzziness. And they didn't know what to think of things. Right? And it's very interesting. The book of Esther is very, and, and really the story of Purim is centrally, one of the focuses is about the 70 years. Isaiah had a prophecy that the, the temple would be rebuilt after 70 years. But there was unclarity in the, in the, in the prophecy itself. And I'll, and I'll quote the verse from Isaiah. Says for thus said Hashem, after seventy years for Babylonia have been completed, I will attend to you and I will fulfill for you my favorable promise to return you to this place. And in the story of the Megillah. We begin with the Feast of Achashverosh. And the Feast of Achashverosh, the commentaries explain, is that the reason why King Achashverosh was partying was because that based on his calculations, the 70 years had come and gone, and the Jews had not been redeemed. So he was celebrating the fact that God has given up on the Jews and now he, his kingdom would reign forever. And the commentaries explain as well that Achashverosh's um, father-in-law also made a, a party, I guess, years earlier that he also thought that the seven years had elapsed, but he miscalculated and he was killed that night. But either way, we see in the beginning of the Megillah story that there's this focus of when is the 70 years. And it's not for another time of when the, obviously the, the prophecy was fulfilled when, when uh, Darius, the son of Achashverosh, the son of Esther, um, he, he, he commenced, he recommenced the building of the Beis Amigdash and allowed it to be completed. But either way, Achashverosh had miscalculated the 70 years and was celebrating the, the fact that God, at least he thought that God had left his people. He left the Jewish people. He, that the Jewish people would not be redeemed and they would never be redeemed. And he was celebrating this fact in a 180-day feast. And the, the story of Purim, as it progresses, there seems to be many different coincidences and a lot of things which seem very, very strange and out of place. And as a Jewish person, as, as you go through the story, right, if you, if you would have never heard the story of Purim and you're listening for the first time, 
you'd be nervous, right? It gets scary. The parts of the that Haman, right? The story happens is first Vashti gets killed. It seems to be a little bit, a little bit um a side point. And then Haman, then Haman, you know, becomes a uh, rises up in stature slowly but surely. And this Jewish girl named Esther becomes the replacement for Vashti, the queen of Persia. And Mordechai hears that a plot will that Big Son and Sheriz, these two advisors of the king, are going to try to kill him, and he is able to save the king's life. And he's written down for in the records of Persia that he saved the king. And Mordechai will not bow down to Haman. Haman hates the Jews so much, and he hates Mordechai so much that because Mordechai didn't bow down to him, only him, he decides to destroy the whole Jewish people. And he builds a gallows to hang Mordechai. But at a certain moment, right, in one moment, the whole story of Purim snaps into place, right? Until that point in time, imagine you being a Jew in the city of Shushan, in the, in the empire of Persia, right? And at that time, it was brought down. It's known that the Persian empire was really pretty much the whole civilized world. That's what it's one of the commentaries in the Megillah when it says, Kush." <clears throat> the commentaries explain that why is the Megillah pointing out to us May Hoidu from the, the country of Hoidu to Kush? It was those two countries were next to each other. So the commentaries explain that one understanding is that the Megillah is pointing out those two countries to tell us that it, they were right next to each other, but the kingdom of Persia, Persia went the other way from Hoidu Vad Kush, the long way. So the you could just imagine the sense of urgency, the, the sense of dread that a Jew had during the times of Ahasuerus and Haman in the, in the story of Purim. It could have been very easy for a person to think that Hashem had ban- abandoned the Jewish people, right? The enemy of the Jewish people are allowed to rise up, right? Ahasuerus is celebrating a feast using the, the utensils of the Holy Temple and nothing happens to him. It's just confusion. And then a Jewish girl is chosen to be queen and she's not even she's not even able to do anything. She doesn't she doesn't try to do anything at first, right? Because that's what Mordechai commanded her. If you're if you're an outsider looking in at this story, right? You're somebody who lives in Shushan. It's so it's so confusing. It seems like maybe our our sister in the kingdom will be able to to uh, to petition for us to save us. That doesn't seem to be happening, right? So it's just pure confusion, pure. Hester, right? That's not the word that's used, right? We see Esther. That was Esther Amalga's name. It comes from the word hidden. Hester Punim. That God's face was hidden until one moment in the poem story where everything turns around. Everything, there's, there's a turnabout, right? That's what we say, that everything was turned upside down. Everything that seemed to be working out for Haman suddenly turned for his bad and everything that was seemed to be going bad for the Jews turned into how they achieve victory, right? Till that very moment where Achashverosh cannot sleep and he cannot sleep and he has a dream and he can't sleep. And he tells his royal advisors to come to him. Is there somebody 
that I did not pay back? Is there somebody that I have not given a reward to that's helped me? And the commentary has explained that this advisor happened to be one of the sons of Haman. And as he's turning the pages, he sees the good deed that Mordecai has done for the king of Persia, but doesn't want to give credit to Mordecai the Jew. He passes it over and passes it over. But the pages miraculously turn back until it comes to a point where he's forced to read how Mordecai the Jew saves the king of Persia from an assassination plot. And he asks, did anyone, cut, did anyone give Mordecai any reward? And he says, no. And at that moment, Haman, who is coming to the king to ask permission to hang Mordecai on a gallows which he had made the previous night, is walking in. And Achashverosh commands his servants to bring him into the chamber. And Achashverosh asks, what type of reward should be given to a person who, save, who, who the king wants to honor? And in his mind's eye, he pictures, who else could the king be wanting to honor more than me? Thinking that the king wants to give him a grand reward, Haman conjures up in his mind the most fantastic thing that he ever could have dreamed of. And he says, the person should ride on the king's horse, wearing the king's clothing, and have the king's crown, and have a choir in front of him screaming, This is shall be done to the man whom the king wishes to honor. And at that moment, the king says, Everything that you have said to do, go and do that for Mordecai the Jew. And at that moment, the story pivots, going from one thing to the next, downhill for Haman and uphill for the Jews. Haman is ordered to take Mordechai on this parade throughout the city. And his children see him thinking that the person pulling the wagon is Mordechai and the person on the wagon is Haman. They throw garbage onto him not realizing that it's their own father. And at that moment, as soon as he comes home, not even having, not even having, not even having a moment to spear, Haman is summoned to the second feast because the first key feast that Esther made for the king and Haman, Haman is on cloud nine. And she invites them. The king asks, is anything you want? And she sa he says, I want to, to invite you to another feast. And Haman is riding, riding high. And on this way to the second feast, after he pulls Mordechai and he smells horrible, he's got, he goes to the king, and, and we all know the ending of the story, how Esther pleads for her people and, and to be saved and says to Achashverosh how Haman was the one who wanted to destroy the Jewish people. And we all know what happens to Haman. The gallows that he had planned for Mordechai, he gets hung on. So what do we, what's the lesson? You know, this is just an abridged version, version, an abridged version of the story of Purim. And I really left out a lot of the different commentaries, the, the depth, the beauty, so much depth in the Megillah, but it's hidden, right? We keep talking about this concept of how the, 
how the Purim story, how we can relate to the story of Purim. Because just like the story of Purim happened while the Jews were still in exile, and there was a certain Hester Punim that God's face was covered, right? It seemed confusion. It seemed like things didn't make sense. But all of a sudden, boom, everything changed around. And all these coincidences, these happenstances, are shown to be how they are the benefit for the benefit of the Jewish people. And they are part of Hashem's master plan. How there's everything was set up exactly how it was supposed to be set up. And we even see in the story of Purim how the salvation came about even before the, before the, the actual decree that the Jews should be killed. The salvation was in place. Because we know that the Esther Hamalka was queen already before Ahasuerus wanted to destroy the Jewish people. But it didn't seem like that. If we would be at that time in Shushan, we would think there's no hope. Would we, would, or I should say, would we lose hope? Would we think there's no salvation? What would be our reactions? Picture ourselves. Close your eyes right now and think of yourself in Shushan during the times of Purim. Right, people going around making announcements on loudspeakers that the Jews are to be killed on the 14th of Adar. What would be your reaction? Would you think there's no hope? And it seems like governments, right? And imagine yourself there. No one else is doing anything about it. None of the governments in the world, none of the dignitaries, none of the noblemen. How would you react? What would you do? How would you feel? Right? There would be this sense, would you have this sense of despair? Would you have this sense of giving up? Would you have this sense of what is going on? Why is Hashem doing this? Right? In Galus, in exile, the reason why Purim is such a powerful holiday for us, specifically us, is because we are also in exile. We are in the exile of Edom, and it's brought down to Ed- Edom is the it's the longest exile, but it will also be, God willing, the last exile till the coming of Mashiach, the coming of the Messiah. But it, it's a lesson for us how to, to sustain ourselves in, in the gullus, in the, in the exile, because many times things don't make sense. We don't understand why things happen. We can't make sense of things. There are things that hurt us and bothers us, right? Why the famous question? You could say, why do bad things happen to good people? Suffering, cruelty. You know, each person can fill in the blank. So the question is, what do we do? Do we say to ourselves, this doesn't make sense, so I'm throwing in the towel? Or do we realize from the story of Purim an inspiration that... and and recognize that Hashem has a plan. And there is a divine plan for each and every one of us on a personal level, and also on a national level as well, there is a mission for the Jewish people which has to be fulfilled. And each and every one of you are are part of that mission. So do we just throw up our hands and say, I give up, or we say, no, we're part of this big mosaic and picture that goes, that started before us and will go after us. And being that we are finite, 
we are we can only see how far that our our meaty eyes can see we're not going to understand the whole picture now sometimes we are we do merit to see things how they do make sense and how they do benefit us in the end right well you know the famous example of a guy missing his plane and the plane crashes right that's just an extreme case my point is but we are we do merit at times to see how hashem is setting us up and putting us in each place how we want to be at the right time at the right place and there's a reason now most of the time we're not going to you know we're going to miss the plane and the plane's not going to crash but it doesn't mean that that wasn't supposed to happen it was supposed to happen, right? That we were supposed to miss the plane and that's there was a reason for it. We don't know it. And that's how it usually is most of the time. But when we come after 120, we'll fully understand why things are as they are. And Purim gives us this insight. The Jewish people recognized that even though they had lost the temple, they, had no, they, they didn't have prophets like they used to have. They still recognized that Hashem was still with them. And in a way that the Hashem was even closer to them than before. Because from the fact that the people had to make the conscious effort to seek out Hashem, to see, to, to see through the blurriness, to, to find God, to put on the special glasses, the spiritual glasses, to see Hashem, to see the hand of God, that experience in a way is a more deeper and closer connection than just seeing everything clearly, right? And that's, there's a very deep, this is a very deep thought that sometimes the reason that we have a, I guess, a partition, while we have, you know, if you think about it, the reason, one of the reasons we have a mechitza, a, a partition in, in the synagogue that separates between men and women, you know, many times, People, you know, everyone gets, sometimes people get touchy about a mechitza, a partition, but the reason of a mechitza is to bring people closer. That sometimes a partition is necessary in order to bring close, you have to have a partition, right? But let's just, an example to understand this is that if a person, a firefighter, right? He wants to go into the fire, he has to have special gear. So, one of, you know, I can't say the reasons, but I, I think I've, I've heard this, that, you know, in Gullahs and exile, one of the missions of the Jewish people, in a way, we have this ability to be even closer to Hashem than if we would have had the temple. Obviously, we want to get to that point. There's this mission that Hashem has set up that he wants the, there's a, there's a, there's a divine plan for the world, right? And it has to happen in a certain way. But, Part of the, I guess, the experience of being in this situation is that we're, we're able to gain a certain closeness that we would not have been able to, to, to attain otherwise. And this is an important point to remember whenever we feel that confusion, that sense of despair. To remember that Hashem is with us. He is guiding us. He is, he, he, he is very close to us. And if we actively look, right, we put on those lenses, we, we look 
we try to look through the confusion, we'll, and we, we know it in our heart, and we also try to look through to look through it and to, to recognize that Hashem has a plan, we're able to get to levels even closer than if we would have had the base on Migdal. Because we're actively working on it, right? There's a certain closeness that we get, like we explained with the partition, with the equipment to get close to fire, to get close to the heat. We need to, you can't just get so close, person will be burned. So therefore, there's this, there's this haze, there's this confusion. God covers his face from us so that we're able to get close to him. Um, and this is just one of the lessons of Purim, which I wanted to share with everyone tonight. Another thought, which I wanted to bring down here, which I thought was very beautiful, is this idea about Esther. You know, and, and it really ties in very well with the, this first idea that we just discussed. We see in the Megillah that one of the, I guess, climactic moments in the storyline of Purim is when Mordechai commands Esther to go into the king's chamber without being invited. And Esther is hesitant at first to do that because she knows that anyone who enters the king's chamber without being invited, without being asked to come in, is liable to the death penalty unless the king decides that they should live. And Esther tells Mordechai, she doesn't, I can't go. I haven't been called by the king. And therefore, if I go, I'll be killed or I could be killed. And Mordechai tells her a very powerful line, which is an important lesson to us and is really a fundamental in Judaism and is a fundamental, I guess, to our, to our outlook in general on life. Mordechai answers Esther, Says He says to her, if you keep quiet at this time, the salvation of the Jews will come some other way. But you and your family, your legacy, will be lost. And perhaps this is the reason that you became queen in the first place. Mordechai could have gone to the king himself. Why was he telling Esther to go, right? He responds with such a powerful, very forceful answer. It's like, if you go, if you don't go, you might be lost forever. This could be your mission in life. This could be the reason and the moment you've been waiting for. That Hashem made you the king, queen of Persia. That you got picked against your will to be the wife of Ahasuerosh. To go into his chamber unbidden and to plead for your people. And we know the rest of the story. That Esther fasts for three days and she goes into the chamber and that's the beginning of the end of the story of Purim and that, you know, we were all saved. But the lesson here is a profound, profound one. That many times 
we look at our circumstances in life and our situation and we're upset maybe. You know, why am I like this? How come I have this deficiency? Why do I have this weakness? Why do I have these parents? Why do I live in this place? And it causes a feeling of negativity and upsetness in the lot that we have been placed in. That outlook is incorrect because the way we need to look at ourselves and our situation is that we know that God has a mission for each and every one of us, a unique task that only each and every one of us could do. We can't do someone else's job. And the tools that Hashem, that God has given us to complete this task are the people that we live with, our families, our friends, the place we live, our strengths, our weaknesses. Those are the, I guess, the, the tools, the, the vehicle in which we're, the things, how we're gonna, what we're going to do and what we're going to use to get to our, to complete our mission. And if we look at our situations in life like this, we'll realize that everything, again, is set up how it's supposed to be. And just like Esther realized that her mission in life was this moment, and she utilized all her ability to save the Jewish people, we also can be like Queen Esther. We also could be like her. To realize that our circumstances in life are not circumstances that they were set up, God has set, set it up exactly like that to make us better people, to make the world a better place, to, to fulfill our divine mission. And when we are able, when we recognize that the things that we are, our strengths, our weaknesses, we, we, re, we realize this mission that we have is God-given and we really internalize that. So then we were able to accomplish way more than we could have imagined. Right? Esther used that ability. Right? She wasn't, we see in the Megillah, she was more timid at first, very shy, but she she became the heroine of the Jewish people, the Queen Esther. She was able to, to go to Achashverosh, to play Haman and Achashverosh the right way, to play. If you look at the depth and the back and forth and the palace intrigue. Of, of, the, of the story of Purim, right? This is the depth of the Megillah. Esther was able to play everybody in the right way that to come out with the salvation of the Jews. Obviously, she was a messenger, but she used her abilities to outsmart Achashverosh, to outsmart Haman, right? You see the depth in what she did. She, she asked Haman and Achashverosh to come. She got him jealous on Haman. And then there's a whole back and forth that everyone was trying to play this game. And she single-handedly was able to, to outmaneuver both of them and save the Jewish people. We don't see that, that was, she was like that at first. We don't see that. But she realized what her mission in life was. And she realized that everything she needed to complete that mission she had. And when a person realizes this thought and he internalizes that we have something unique to offer, and unique to do, and only you can do it. So then we have the, we find the, the, I guess, the ability and the strength to accomplish the impossible 
And God willing, this Purim, let's internalize this message of Purim, that number one, Hashem is running the world. Even if we live in this confusing exile, this confusing galas where things don't make sense and we don't see the face of God clearly, we recognize still that Hashem is running the show. He is the master, I guess, puppeteer. He is leading everything from behind the scenes, even if we don't see it. But if we put on those glasses, we're able to put the effort in, we're able to get to a closer relationship than Hashem, to Hashem than even if we had the Beis HaMikdash, potentially. And number two is recognizing that we all have a unique mission. And the tools that we have to complete that mission are our strengths and weaknesses, our family, our friends, our circumstances in life are the way we are going to complete that. And when we recognize this and internalize it, we're able to accomplish the impossible, to do more than we could ever imagine. So this poem, let's internalize these message messages, and we can definitely go from strength to strength and have an amazing poem. And with that, I'm going to finish today's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Cohen with a K at gmail.com. Everyone have a great day.